0: Our guest today has quite literally been chasing his passions for all of his adult life. Whether it was moving from Atlanta to Boston and later to Los Angeles to become a stand-up comic, or shuttering a burgeoning staffing company to report on and participate in the fledgling sport of obstacle course racing, Matt B. Davis of Obstacle Racing Media has used a combination of grit and fearlessness to bite off big projects and chase envious goals. The day after recording this show, in fact, Matt knocked out a fastest known time or an FKT on the entire 61.5 mile Silver Comet Trail. I'm a big fan of his work. He is excellent at his job as the host of the Obstacle Racing Media Podcast, and I had a great time talking with him, as I'm sure you will hear. So if you're ready for the show, crank it up and let's go. go. Welcome to the Athlinks Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Bousseau, coming to you from the icy streets of Broomfield, Colorado. It is December 28th, 2020, and this is episode 23. It's a little rock and roll.
1: I, I'm not sure I'd call that rock and no, roll. No, it's but totally
0: okay. rock and roll. It's completely rock and roll. Dude, 23, I get to be the MJ episode. <laughs> that's, that's it. You are Michael Jordan of the Athlinks podcast. <laughs> so today with us, we have Matt B. Davis of um, Obstacle Race Media. Is that right? That doesn't sound right when I just said it ORM, Obstacle, Obstacle Racing. Racing Media. There you go. Obstacle Racing Media. I knew I was going to screw that up. Uh, Merry Christmas, first of all. Uh, Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. That's right. Um, I uh, we, we had to do a little traveling this year um, for the holiday. My, my mom actually ran over herself with her own car a couple weeks back, and so we had to go uh, make sure that she was okay in Phoenix. And uh, I had every intention of landing gracefully and doing some recording, and you and I were going to try to hook up over over that holiday, and I think I hit the ground and just did like a, a dodo bird and just like crash landed on the ground and went dark for a few days. So apologies on it, my man. part, yeah. I yeah. totally get it, man, no worries. Yeah, anyway, so I uh, hope you're having uh, just a wonderful 2020. <laughs> <laughs> it's been the best! Uh, it's, it's tough to it's tough to put it in the rear view and, and go into next year, but you know, we'll have to, some, some good things must end.
1: Yes. And That's exactly, exactly. The calendar will turn and the entire world will go exactly how it was yeah. on uh, on March 9th, 2020. It'll just go right back.
0: Exactly. So, uh, well, again, thanks for for joining us on the Athlinks podcast. You, um, you've you been around the space on the obstacle racing side for quite a bit. I've um, caught up with a bunch of your different podcasts and, uh, over the last um, week or so. We kind of put out the APB a week or so ago, a week and a half ago on who would you most like to hear on the podcast? And you were, you were recommended by uh, one of our listeners. And so we wanted to welcome you to the show, talk all things obstacle racing. Um, we've got some other things on the agenda if you want to get into some Boston comedy and some different things like that. so um, I, I, would, I would love to talk Boston comedy, and I also like to talk athletes because I love athletes. Cool, nice. Well, that's awesome. How do you guys use? I mean, I notice. I mean, you first of all. I mean, let's get into your your race history. You're a pretty um, oh, prolific please. grinder. Oh please! All right. Well, well,
1: well I, I'm going to say something that I maybe I shouldn't say. I I've done say. far more races than are on my athletes. Let me just put it to you that way. I've done far more races that are actually on my athletics. Is that right? Uh, yes. Uh, I, I actually keep track because after the first couple years of obstacle racing, I, I started keeping a little living google doc so we're well into the we're well into the 200s somewhere um but um i interview guests and uh often i will start talking about their careers and we'll go well let's pull up your athlinks, and you so go. it's just a default to pull up and we start going oh look you did your seventh at the uh Vega zona Spartan in 2013. Oh, you beat so-and-so, right? Yeah. Um so now uh you know depending on the athlete it's basically for me there's two places there's athletes and there's ultra sign up and that's kind of like the yeah. base of where I'm gonna pull stats from if I'm gonna interview you now if I was really like a super Uh, prepared dude, I would look ahead of time, but it's much more fun to look during. Um, And now, you know, with Zoom and everything, I can do a fun, I can do a fun uh, screen share. Uh, I literally just put up an episode uh, with Ashley Heller. And we spent, you know, we spent 10 minutes on her, on her Spartan career through the magic of athletes. The magic of athletes. There are some issues. We can get to those, but we can save those for later.
0: Yeah, we can get into those too. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to see what we're missing on you because we're uh, obviously pretty damn complete, but... Uh, um,
1: how, about, how, about, how about this? I might accidentally lose my chip sometimes.
0: Yeah, that ha- that is one of the... Uh, I mean, it's been fun actually working with Spartan. Spartan pushes us really hard on the technology side, on the chrono track side, as well as the the athletes and the tracking side. And one of the things which is pretty comical is for years... Um, you Joe would like invite all these elites to the to his race, but then never make them register. And so they would show up and you'd have like right. a rosemary jari, like just you know, barker name at the registration person, like, hey, I'm here, put me in. And so like every single week we'd have to chase down Rosemary, Rose Mary, Rose Jari, Mary Jari. I mean, it's just like this never-ending cycle. And this was a, a very common thing. So right.
1: well, listen, I'm a media
0: person. Yeah.
1: So I just don't always get a check about yeah, that. It happens. I just, I run a lot of races for funsies. Okay. And so uh, my, my time is not important. Okay. Very good. So that is why, that is why I've done a fair amount of races to sure. which I am not registered. Off the books. There you go. It's a very, I'm Boston. doing my job. I'm doing, my, I'm doing my, my media thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear um, you. I hear you. So yeah, so that's that's why I'm there's there's far more than that. But
0: anyway. I, yeah, no, I'm 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 very similar. I've I've definitely participated in some races under the Athlink's banner where I may or may not just sort of run to the start line and, and jump in. Not not as a bandit, always with permission, but not. Oh always no, of Jim. course.
1: 100 percent. One hundred percent. Of yeah. course. I'm I'm always permission. Yeah. Um uh and always sign my waivers, of course, upon uh upon the site. Always. Um but um it just got to be like, why bother? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's more trouble than it's worse yeah. from out there working to bother, to bother someone at the company ahead of time or the day of. Um, but if I'm racing, if I care, then I'm absolutely going to get one. And yeah. I actually started doing a bunch of the Spartan trail races last year and absolutely want to be time for those. And yeah, you know, put my thing on and I did, you know, I did a Turkey half, which of course I want to, you know, I wanted to get sub two this year and I did that. So, cool. um, but anyhow, but the the point is that I I use the site as a resource, awesome, and uh, it has been a valuable resource to me. But we can, like I said, we can get into my issues with it later. I know you have a bunch of other questions. Yeah, no worries
0: at all. Yeah, you, we Same we can now. we can talk as much or as little about Athlinks as as you would like. I always love to hear about the issues that people were having. Um, it's no secret, like we've talked a little bit in in past episodes, the the journey that Athlinks has been on over the last. Um, uh, I don't know five years or so, really in support of ChronoTrack and building in the live results and things like that, and kind of gotten away from our core, which now due to COVID and splitting from ChronoTrack at a kind of at a at an organizational level, we're finally getting back to some of the the cool things on the athlinks, the athlete facing stuff, which I'm really excited about. So, but we can talk about that later. So, Alrighty. yeah. So you're you're pretty much a grinder, is what is I think how how I would describe you in terms of like how you're participating in races, which is, um, well, would you agree with that sentiment? First of all, a grinder, a grinder. Yeah. Like, no, no. Okay. <laughs> how would you, how would you characterize yourself as a, as a race? 2012
1: to 2014, 15 ish. I was a grinder. Okay. If there was a race. I was going to be there. Okay. Right. And I actually like, you know, in the Spartan terms, did my burpees if I failed something, right? Like I was all about it. And then as the company grew, this company, which we're going to get to, which started out as a side business, obstacle racing media became my business. Racing became less important. Yeah. Uh, Being there to get what I needed to for the media was important. And also not being gone every weekend for my wife and three small children was, was important. So the number of races went down. Yeah. um, And it's only been in 2019 ish that I started quote unquote like getting serious, like, oh, you know, I've, I've done a gazillion of these obstacle races for fun. And uh, now I'd like to see if I can, you know, break two and a half. I'd like okay. to register. I'd like to train for another 50K. I actually got a uh, a charity thing to Boston, um, which, you know, of course that ended horribly. But uh, <laughs> so now now at age like fell in love with running at age 40 right sort of this midlife crisis that many of us do start obstacle racing start running love it um then the last few years have kind of just kind of just half-assed it i've never stopped running like if you look at my strava um you know i've I've never not run at least let's say 20 miles a week for the last eight years and then it's gone like really it's been really uh ramped up when I'm training and ramped down when I'm not. Um, but in the last couple of years, I've started actually racing where I actually care about it.
0: Okay. okay. Put it this way,
1: uh, no A races for a long time. In the last couple of years I've had some A races. Does yeah. That
0: and, and that's kind of what I was, what maybe wrong choice of words, grind or or different interpretation. But the, what I was seeing was a lot of entering races and just like you, you I mean, we don't show the DNF. So I don't know how many of those exist out there, but you seemed, you know, like you're going to finish come hell or high water certainly. Right. Yeah. And that, that's what I mean by grinder. It's not like, you know, you're trying to get down to 120 pounds and, you know, be, you know, this gazelle, but you're just like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to start and I'm going to finish regardless.
1: Correct. Yes, exactly. Correct. Yeah.
0: So how did, so did the, um, So you've got a uh, kind of an interesting background from a distance and we'll get, I'd like to hear from you specifically, because I've put some pieces together, um, kind of former or maybe uh, now amateur uh, stand-up comic maybe, (laughs) who then finds OCR and then turns that back into a media gig. So um, kind of what is your journey through the, the sporting and entertainment world and how did you ultimately get these two things to converge in a successful way?
1: Uh I'm going to say 100 percent by accident or magic or um you can wish for something and it comes true, but 20 or 30 years later than you thought. I yeah. mean, I guess it couldn't be 30, it couldn't be that old. Yeah. So I started doing stand-up at age 24. All I wanted to do, all I cared about. I I just, you know. I never finished college. I never had any sort of business life plans. I just knew I couldn't work for the man. I just knew that about myself. So when I, I moved to Boston in 1996, cause I had been born there and I knew they had more stand-up than Atlanta. I didn't know that it was this comedy Mecca, which it is, which, yeah. you know, in any decade, Boston is this, like, there's like three or four places which where you can be from that Boston is one of them. So I get to Boston in 96 and that I grinded that I absolutely grinded. You you know, if you, if you listen to any of these podcasts yeah. with, you know, with Marin or any of these comedians, you know, with Rogan, you know, you got to get up, you know, 10 times a week. So that means you're up twice a night. You're doing the, and I loved it and I loved it, loved it, loved it. Never made a fucking nickel. Didn't care.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Had, you know, BS temp jobs, whatever. After doing it a few years, moved to LA because that's what you do. And now I'm definitely gonna make it and be famous. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then I didn't. Uh, uh, <laughs> were you uh, Were I,
0: you making it in Boston, or, or like when you moved to LA? Was it had you graduated to LA, or was it just a change of scenery?
1: Well, I mean, there's a couple ways to look at it. I remember someone saying, to like, we all kind of like everyone in Boston, those of us that were like around the same age, um, kind of, we all knew that like New York or LA is the thing. There's all these guys that never left, right? Which we can talk about part of the people, you know, so mm-hmm. like, like, uh, like Lenny Clark had never left and Steve Sweeney never left. These guys were headliners. Yeah already for 20 years. When we got there, they're still there. They're great guys. They just never quite quote unquote made it. So we knew we didn't want to be that. You didn't want to be some like just local, whatever, like I want to make it. So if you work hard and you're halfway decent, you can start doing gigs right away and you can, you know, open for these guys and, you know, you can open for even bigger names. And I say that to people all the time that stand up is the only place you can do that. I mean, I got to open Uh, I got to open for Lewis black, you know, and he was pretty big at the time and it's like, you don't get to pick up a guitar and then you're opening for the stones, like two years later, that doesn't happen. You know what I mean? But you can, you get to work with these guys, you know, they could drop in on an open mic you're doing. You could be on the same day or you could follow Chris rock or he could follow you or whatever. Yeah. And so I loved all that. And then the, the short version is I moved to LA and, uh, you know, got hit in the face. Like everybody does. Yeah. Like, like the, the world is my oyster. and It's going to come to me. It didn't. And then looking back, I realized I stopped working as hard at the mm. time. You couldn't have told me that, but if you listen to, if you listen to Marin, uh, you know, I keep bringing him up cause you mentioned him. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and he talks about how he's just sit around, how comics just sit around and go, what well, does that guy have a TV show? Yeah. What did that guy get the Aspen Comedy Festival and I didn't? And it's like you don't if you if you go out and work really effing hard <clears throat> instead of sitting around complaining, you'll probably get farther. Yeah. And that's what I've since learned, you know, doing this business that most people are successful because they work really hard at it, not yeah. because not because, you know, some BS reason that you think. So yeah. oh, but getting back to the point, should I go to LA? Should I not go to LA? And there are people that are like, nah, you should wait. You should wait till you have some quote unquote heat on you. And then I had other people, you know, because I asked some of the older comics, sure. and some of them said, "No, man, you're young, you're good looking." The, my, their words, not mine. <laughs> go now, just go. Yeah, and so I did, and so there you go.
0: Got it. Yeah, it's interesting too. I, I just interviewed um, Anton Viatoro, who was a pro cyclist, uh, raced with Lance on the U.S. Postal Team. Heard from <laughs> multiple athletes. You know, there is there is such a fine line between a successful at a business level, at a career level athlete or, you know, insert other profession here. um, And it sounds very similar to comedy where you got, you know, a hundred riders who can push the exact same number of Watts for the same number of time or run that same pace or whatever. It's the guy who knows how to connect with sponsors, who knows how to connect with you know their fans and push those sponsors and those types of things that start to make it and then everybody else who feels like well i beat that guy in a race why is he making it but the reality is is they're doing all those intangibles to um you know to make a business well, out of it
1: well well here's what's interesting so do you know who gary goleman is
0: yeah very much yeah okay great okay.
1: Yeah. okay do you know who dwayne perkins is i don't know dwayne it's not as well as known okay. but he's had some specials and he's been around he's been in a ton of commercials so I, we were in that, I was in that like class with them. We all started around the same time. And I looked at them mm. and I said to anybody who asked like, well, those two are going to make it. And why were they going to make it? They work clean. They're nice to everyone and they work their ass off. Mm. Like they're, they're, you know, you'll see them at a spot and then go to another spot and then go to another spot. And, 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 so they had the recipe right in front of me, but I didn't do it. Yeah. Now, again, it's not saying that, you know what I mean? And you could describe people who are quote unquote, funnier than them even, Yeah. but, and I think they're both hilarious. But the point is that I knew that was the path to success and yet I didn't do it. Um, I was, uh, I think I was, uh, again, I only can see it now. um, A lot of the wrong reasons, which is, I think, you know, why does anybody pick up a guitar? Why does anybody want to start comedy? Oh, I want to get girls. But then you maybe find a real reason to do it in the meantime, but I didn't. It was all about how can I get attention and love and and get famous instead of like, let me get really good at this craft, which is the difference.
0: Yeah, it's cool thinking like a Gary Goldman with the Great Depression. Like there there are comics who can just, you know, bust out a bunch of one-liners. and can be funny any given time. The Great Depression, which was, I think it was on HBO about a year ago is, You is like a 20-year journey into amazing storytelling. And uh that was one of the I kind of fell out of uh like my fandom of stand-up comedy, and I just happened to find the Great Depression again about a year ago, watched it almost by accident, and it was cathartic. It was I've never dealt with depression personally, but watching it, I mean, he kind of walks you through the whole thing and does it in a very endearing, funny way. Um, and it's funny to apply that parallel to racing where these overnight success stories where man, right. that's, that's 20 years of training and, and base work and all of those things that then get, you get to, you know, display on stage and make it look so easy.
1: Well, to jump ahead, we'll just, this'll go how it goes. Um, I, I'm, I'm doing up and so I'm in LA and I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm working here and there. It's basically you go, whatever fish you are, right. You go back to being tiny fish, but it's actually, it's, it's, you're even lower. And, and this is kind of how I think I can best explain it is that, uh, when you're in Boston and you guys are, you're kind of in it together. And again, you'll hear these stories on these, on these podcasts, if you follow comedy at all, you know, two or three of you get in a car. You drive to New Hampshire. You do the gig. Hilarity ensues. It's much, it's fun. You make fifty bucks, whatever. But it's you kind of against the world, and it's you and like these like two hundred people, right? And then you move to LA, yeah. and it's two hundred thousand people. And I and I remember my first time at the Improv. I'm I'm fighting stage time. This is nineteen you know ninety nine, and I'm I'm literally trying to get stage time. And the people that I'm trying to get stage time are this hot girl from an acting class whose acting teacher told her to go do stand-up, and drew Carey, who was the <laughs> biggest star in the world in 1999. Right. Like those two forces are, are like, like I got to fight those people to yeah. get on stage. And it's, it's so you talk about grinding. So again, I had the recipe, Troy and I blew it. The recipe mm. is you show up, you work hard. I was a door guy at Nick's um so i eventually got to be friends with mark maron but we bonded over that almost right away because he you know he did the door guy thing at uh, at the store yeah um but Nick's comedy stop, legend legendary place in boston um you could sink or swim there it was amazing yeah. um the crowd would just love you or destroy you and like that that's why so many boston comics i think you know cut their teeth and get good yeah um but um and so I did it all, you know, and, and then I got to LA and kind of had this attitude of like, well, I've been doing it three years. What well, right. do I want to do a coffee shop? Yeah. Which is like, which was the wrong attitude. Yeah. Well, the, especially the right...
0: coming from Boston, because that is the, um, especially being an outsider going in and doing Boston comedy. Cause that's, that's one of the things about Boston is they will abs, they will set you up to fail. Uh, I mean, there've been great stories about, you know, the comedy. Oh, you know, hey, why don't you have my slot and they'll get you up (laughs) on stage and then they just destroy you or put you in front of an audience that you know is just going to absolutely tear you up kind of thing. So,
1: well, it's just, it's just a great place. Like I couldn't, I'm so happy that's where I started and I made, you know, I made good friends and I just learned the, you know, you learn the business and you get to do those things. But again, I moved to LA, not willing to take that back seat because I was a a seasoned vet at four years, which is i never i don't know if i'm a lot of cuss here or not by the way sure I why not a lot okay um and so being being not willing to do that and not willing to 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 take all the crappy spots and do yeah. all the i mean now i get to see people i did open mics with there that you would have heard of and again because they did that yeah. so uh Jezelnik is one comes to mind sarah tiana there's a ton of people who sort of came out of that, you know, started in 99, 2000 ish in LA. And, you know, again, a lot of talent, not saying they don't, but they also like, they did the deal. They showed up, they worked hard and, and, you know, got along. I very much, I've, I've, I wasn't mature enough basically, I think, because I I remember a friend said that to me once early on, as I was acting like a jerk about something. And, you know, basically, I just wanted to be right. And he said, well, you can be right, but you know, life is politics, business is politics. If you can't play any of that, then you can, you can say, yeah. I'm not gonna play the game, but you can also like be a hermit, I guess. Yeah. Like that. that's part of mature adulting.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about a mic, <clears throat> a mic at a place like uh, the Comedy Store or something like that as a podium, you know, it's like there are a thousand guys grinding it out in that race. There's only three that are going to stand on the podium and only one guy that gets to headline that podium, you know, and <laughs> right. it's it's not enough to just train. You got to have talent, but you you have to out train the other thousand people that you're going to be going up against, you know, and so it's there's a lot of parallels in in that kind of comedy you know it's not like accountants you know the world can always use another accountant correct um the you know things like finite resources like comedy and uh, again like elite racing is there's only there's only so many slots in the world for those people
1: and, and but, you- but but the I, I i love it but i also think you know if you're talking about if you're talking about like you know sponsorship for example yeah you know why is this person get this over me People want to work with people they want to work with. Yeah. Like that's, that's how it works. Like, should we call that guy? Uh, He's a pain in the ass. What about this other guy? He's great. I love that guy. Everybody loves that guy. Right. And it doesn't mean you have to be vanilla and be, be one thing to all people, but it means, you know, you can you can probably, uh, you know, grow up a little bit and choose, you know, pick your battles instead of this teenage attitude. I just keep saying teenage because I, I have... Uh, a 13 year old daughter and 11 an year old son. And their answer to everything is that they don't like is fu, I'm not going to do it. And it yeah. uh, doesn't really work in adulthood. And yeah. I, I didn't learn that until, you know, in my thirties.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not to jump off topic. And since you brought them up, I was looking at some of the photos from your Instagram account. Are you, are you at all concerned that your sons are going to murder you in your sleep? <laughs> Those are a couple of intense young men. <laughs> Our
1: youngest very well might. Yeah. Our youngest is River, and he very well might. The middle Jackson is 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 a lot less likely to, but but yes, uh, they are. Um, you have you have kids?
0: I do. Yeah. Okay. One girl. Uh, seventeen I'll, seventeen boy, fourteen girl.
1: All right. So there are all the things you think parenthood will be like, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's. The other 99% right. that you never thought you'd face. And that's. Moment, please. Yeah. yeah. Package for me. What? Good job. Did you hear that? That's what you did. What? I'll be back in a minute, buddy. I'll, I'll get it in a minute. Uh, I hope he can listen to this in like 10 years. <laughs> he goes, Guess what? I go, What? He goes, I put on deodorant. Nice. i telling him because he's 11, right? <laughs> And he got in the car the other day from a kid's birthday party. And I was like, buddy, we love you. Cause we had bought it for him like a few months ago. I was yeah. like, buddy, we love you, but you got to do it. Yeah. And this isn't about like getting girls or anything. It's just being around people. Yeah. No one wants to be around a stinky guy. Yeah. Um. So uh, I don't want to get too heavy into it. Cause I don't want to depress your listeners. Speaking <laughs> of the great depression, but as much as, as much as COVID has affected, you know, everyone, and people have dealt with it however they dealt with you know my kids have not been in school since march and it it's it's literally regressed them like we've watched the boys regress and it's it's not fun and it's not pretty and so um my daughter she's a girl slightly more mature they mature a little bit faster she can kind of she can be in a room all day on her little computer and do school and talk to her friends and she's kind of obviously she needs to get back to being with people too but anyway yeah uh the boys it's been rough and um just can't wait for them to get back to
0: school. Yeah, you and me both for for all of our, our kids. And and I will tell you, I don't know that it's a gender thing because my son has sailed through this. He is the more mature one, or certainly the more studious one. He was actually uh I think it suited him perfectly. He'd wake up, grab a bowl of cereal, go sit in his bed for eight hours and do homework, and his GPA went up. Like I see that's yeah. see that's that's my daughter. And yeah. I I'm sorry to
1: to to gender whatever people. Oh please no, no, don't, no. Please, yeah. don't, please don't cancel me. I just know as a rule. <laughs> Women typically like they potty train sooner. They 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 tend to kind of
0: yeah you know no, mature it's a safe faster. Bet. It's a safe bet to say that teenage <laughs> girls are more mature than teenage boys.
1: Right. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. At, at, at every at every level. But, um, and the fact that you had to talk your son into wearing deodorant, like doing well, something that is legitimately that- good. Well, it's not that I've talked him into it. Like, today is a banner day.
1: Like, that's what I'm saying. We just caught this on radio. Today he did it, like, without me asking. So it's a banner day.
0: Well, I feel like we're going to be forever linked together now because we've shared this moment. I think so, too. Also because
1: your cat just showed its ass to me. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I can't help it. Okay. Did you win did you win Leadville or something by the way? Are those things behind you Leadville things? No, so Lifetime Fitness owns Athlinks. Hold on, let me get this cat's butt out of Lifetime face. Fitness owns Athlinks? Lifetime Fitness owns Athlinks. <laughs> and like Yeah, I was
1: thinking you were a grinder. You're just uh-huh. some corporate chill for I'm Lifetime Fitness. Chill.
0: Yeah, I'm a I'm a kept man. No, I um uh yeah, we sold to Lifetime a handful of years ago. And so now Lifetime owns Leadville and and um Miami Marathon. Mm-hmm. We uh Owned some of the, uh, actually Georgia Publix Marathon Lifetime owned for a short time and then did a trade deal with a, uh, Atlanta track club down there. So yeah.
1: You know what it is now?
0: What is it now?
1: Well, Is it uh, not Georgia Publix? Uh, I, it is, it actually is Georgia Publix, but you know what the Thanksgiving one is called? No. The Invesco QQQ Half Marathon. I thought it was a, huh. I thought it was an error. Like error typo? In the. I thought it was a typo in the email the first time I heard about it, Yeah. because who would possibly do that? But like, that's a product, huh. is like the, the QQQ. QQQ. And it's like, that's their like investment, like a, like a, what do you call those? Like oh. a vehicle, investment,
0: whatever. Say, anyway. like maybe the Telestrator stuck. That's what I thought. But no, know
1: it's a real name for a real event. But no, I think it is still the Publix.
0: Or maybe it's called something else. Well, in March, so Publix, Publix was the last one of the last couple big races to happen right in uh, in March or late February early March um I'm pretty sure it's still the Georgia it, Publix it, Georgia. It, 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 Yeah. Yes, it,
1: it 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 is the Publix and they're doing it at the freaking racetrack um, which which I'm just looking at this now yeah. they so they did they did a 10-miler this way. Okay. And I was going to check it out cuz it was like four laps or something but who wants to do so we're gonna do 15 laps of this thing that's gonna be stupid
0: i I don't know i think it at this point like whatever gets people racing is what people are gonna put up with for a while we we interviewed a guy dave Pryor who um, owns unpaved big gravel race up in pennsylvania and they made a bunch of different changes like i mean they you know they went from like a 1200 person field down to a 200 person field instead of doing a a full-timed course, they did enduro rules where they only timed three segments on course and things. And everybody loved it and everybody, you know, praised it after the fact. And you know, those 200 people were super thrilled to just have a freaking race to go to. But I asked him like, do you think this is sustainable? And he just said, you know, that they, basically they had to gut so much of what made the race special that, yeah, it just wasn't something going forward that would. If
1: you do loops Mm -hmm. for a freaking half in a marathon, how is that possibly safer? That's the most congregation you could possibly have. Yeah. Like I just did, so I did my Thanksgiving half with loops, but it was a couple hundred racers, right? Yeah. With, with like four different start times. So you pass people every once in a while, but even if you're on some big track, yeah. you throw 10,000, I don't know how many people run that thing, five or 10,000, that can't be good. We can talk about
0: that later. Well, I think the um, safest but, way to do a race at this point is just have it inside of a Home Depot and then everybody's <laughs> safe. I'm getting, I'm getting canceled for that one um yeah it is the, yeah so but it, right before it was called the
1: Publix, it was called something else i okay. think that's what's confusing me like yeah. three or four years ago it became the Publix from something else bs yes, owned by the uh the good old track club atc
0: yeah 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 so good they, they've been uh we've been race partners with them forever and, and so uh anyway so that's why i have all the leadville uh posters and different things and i've done I've done a couple of the races up there and I have a couple more to add to my uh to my calendar. At this point they're sort of half uh inspiration and half aspiration. Got it. Well, I guess a third and then a third memorial. So I've done some of them. So Got it. I'm learning how to grind a little bit this year. I've had a um like I'm I'm putting some 50s and things on the calendar this year in 2021 rather. And so I need to I need to adjust my mindset of like slow down, go farther. I'm I'm gonna be 50 next year, so I just um, I'm just slow now, so I just need to embrace it. <laughs>
1: well, I was never fast, yeah. so
0: that, I, I, I have that
1: going. I have that going for me. Uh, yeah.
0: So, but that that's a good point. I need to stop trying to be fast. Is what it is. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So, how did you get into the OCR stuff? Because I know you know comedy clubs and 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 fitness usually are kind of <laughs> synonymous with one another. <laughs>
1: If you ask my wife, she reminded me that I used to say to her, why do people run? It looks so stupid. I mean, I, 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 I said that to her and you know, if you, if you said like, we're going to take away running from your life, I would be, I would be horrified. It's such a, it is such a staple of my life, of, of my mental health, of, of, of all of it. So um, did you
0: guys come to get like, was she more into fitness than you? Oh No. Okay. No.
1: She was the, the way I always explain it is uh I was your average softball playing dad. Okay. Right. So I wasn't obese, although we found a recent picture where I look pretty chunky. Um, but for most of my life, I was just like a normal dad. Yeah. Right. Like I could play softball, i could play some flag football, um, but I wasn't fit. So in 2010, I pointed to that. 2010, this friend of mine had a flyer. And it had one of these stupid hats on it, and it's a stupid red Viking hat. And he's like, "We're going to do this thing. It's called the Warrior Dash, and you run for three miles, and you like go over mud pits, and it's manly and stupid, and get to eat a big turkey leg." Yeah, sign me up. So we go and do that, me and like nine friends, and you know it was fun. But I wasn't like, "Let's do this again." It was like, "Well, that was kind of cool." Yeah. And then I completely forgot about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then. I start seeing these videos for Tough Mudder and Spartan. Yeah. And I was like, this looks really hard. And a friend of mine said, uh, I'm going to do one of those Tough Mudders. And I said, Dominic, my friend Dominic, you are fatter than me. You can do it. I can also do it. <laughs> so nine of us go and do it. And since we're becoming such good friends, I'll tell you the full story, which is it was in February. It was a Sunday. And uh, the night before, you know, the temperatures were like, it's not going to be above freezing when you start. And we know that there is an ice bath. We know yeah. that there's multiple water submersions. I mean, I was scared, legit yeah. scared. Yeah. And uh, the ice bath is in the first mile of the race uh, in this particular one. And so we get to it and... It's like, okay, we're, we're going to do this. And we jump in and your head goes under and you come up and your head feels like it's being like squished in. Um, and then it was like, well, now we still have nine miles to go, but the hardest part of the race is over. We've done the hardest thing and it just became this, you know, three or four hour grind, however long it took. And I literally felt changed. Like, okay, I can do that. I can do anything. I I had that thing. And so I was. I was. That's kind of what got me off and off and running. I did a Spartan a month later. I started yeah. doing a few more.
0: And um, and are you thinking about like get you know fitness at this point, or is it more just the challenge?
1: Well, I I, I actually just I you know for since Tough Mudder was ten miles, which may as well have been a hundred back then, it's like, well, how do you do yeah. that? Well, you start running a couple miles, then you do three or four miles. Oh, you should run on trails. So some friends of mine go to this place called Stone Mountain, which I just ran out yesterday, and um, we start running on those trails. And that's what I fell in love with was the was the running outside and the running on trails. That's what got me. Um, this is two thousand, the fall of two thousand eleven. So I read Born to Run, yeah. and I'm I'm in it, man. i let's go, let's yeah. go run with with some the Tararama, the Tahu Rama. Yeah, I never say it right,
0: Tararama, right?
1: Let's yeah. run with the Tararama. Uh, interestingly enough, not even a year later, I got to meet Josue Stevens and I almost did go, uh, in 2013 to that race. Okay. Uh, longer story for another time. Um, but it was the running that I fell in love with and the obstacles to me were kind of secondary. Like that was yeah. fun. Like crawling things, crawl over things, right? The obstacles are much easier than they are now. Like now, if you legit don't train for them, you fail most of them. Yeah. So I fail most of them. And that's fine with me. Cause I just, I just love the community and I love doing it. Yeah. But that's what got me hooked was the, was the running. Yeah.
0: Well, how did your body hold up? I mean, were you, you were kind of coming from zero and stuff. Have, do you have a pretty resilient body as it turns out?
1: I just, I mean, like I said, I was, I was, I think I'm, I think I'm born relatively coordinated yeah. and relatively fit ish. Like I'm a mesomorph or whatever that yeah. thing is that, you know what I mean? And so I didn't need to do that much. Well, like I said, in the yeah. early days, the the obstacles weren't even that hard, right? Like you're just crawling over things and under things. Now they got these rigs, you need amazing grip strength and um, all this stuff, but back then it it wasn't. And so, um, yeah, you're a little sore the next day, but you feel alive, man. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's like, it's like the reason obstacle races are, are, I think became popular is uh, if you're living this pedestrian working nine to five existence, uh, where everything is, you know, coffee is the right temperature and flavor and everything's perfect and yeah. go out and get cold and miserable. So,
0: yeah, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to go. Um, one, it's tough. Like you described, it's tough to, can, to, to picture yourself jumping and freezing cold water voluntarily and then running nine more miles after the fact. Right. It's just tough to even think about like it's tough to take a cold shower, you know, like get out of your cold, your warm bed into a cold room and then take a cold shower. Like most of us can't do that. But then once you do it and you realize like how you feel and how you have felt um, leading into that day and that level of accomplishment that there's no substitute for like you can kick ass and work, you can kick ass in a lot of things, but there is something so primal to you know running farther faster whatever it is or biking farther and faster etc like there's no substitute for that and you are you're hard pressed not to be changed after that experience
1: yeah and you know dissena the head of spartan you know calls it obstacle immunity yeah. and i and i feel like it 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 really is a thing because you for me i'm just less likely if i go out to run a, if i go out to run a race like, you know, Thanksgiving is a good example. I think it was going to be in the 30s or whatever that morning. I'm like, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to be dry the whole time. Yeah. Like, how hard is it? You know what I mean? I'm going to put on a hat. Who cares? I can take Nothing. the hat off halfway through. Right. Yeah. But then in life, it just sort of prepares you. So, you know, you know, he'll always say things like, well, you know, sitting in traffic is not such a big deal, or or yeah. all the things, you know, all the things in life that sometimes right. think it like I I find myself, <laughs> I, I I think it worked. I think this obstacle community thing works with me some on a subconscious, yeah. subconscious level.
0: But doesn't it, doesn't part of that also go back even farther at a subconscious level to say, you know, if you can bomb at a comedy club, if you can get up on stage and start to tell jokes, I mean, that had to have hardened you, um, or at least, um, refined your hardness of what you already had innately inside you.
1: Well, I can tell you that that works. That helped me in business because when I started my first business, I remember thinking, you know going to like a sales pitch and thinking like well no one's gonna like boo me right you know like like <laughs> i i've seen the worst like you that suck
0: does, that
1: does that does prepare you for life in the best way right yeah. if you can do that uh uh and i have been booed before my second or third time on stage ever um they're encouraged uh there's this this uh this black club in town called the uptown comedy corner and they're like uh, they kind of treated like the Apollo. And the guy said, if you don't like them, let them know. And so I got booed and you know, the next time I got back on stage, I was like, Oh, okay. Well now I can do anything because, so that, that helped me prepare for like sales calls in a way that nothing else can.
0: Well, let's, um, let's, so let's stay on that for a second. So when you're getting booed, um, (laughs) (laughs) so when you're getting booed, I mean, seriously, like, do you, um, when you're talking to the, some of these older guys that have been through it, like what's the advice you give to comics? Like, do you just take it? Do you, do you just, do you start pushing back? Do you-
1: well, that was my second or third time ever on okay. stage. And so eventually it just, the crescendo got loud and then the the, the DJ just plays you off He okay. starts the record. You're yeah, done. You're done. Um, but then you learn as you get older or the more you do it, how to deal with, with, those kinds of things. And I mean, that was only the one time I was ever booed. Like as a rule, it doesn't, it doesn't really happen unless you're in that kind of environment. Um, but crickets is, is certainly worse. Like uncomfortable, uncomfortable sweating in weird places and your ears itching. And you know, you'll millions of stories of those kinds of, of, of gigs. and, And, um, um, I remember one time, uh, I was at this place and like they wouldn't turn the TV off, and that's always a bad sign, like the TV's <laughs> on. And there were so few people in the audience. And I I found myself literally like I'm telling the jokes because you need to do your time, as we say. And I'm literally watching TV and thought, this is pretty impressive. Like oh, wow. I'm telling the jokes. I'm following, like, this is all in my mind that wow. I'm following what's going on, on TV because <laughs> I just gotta kill these 20 minutes here. Um, but again, um I just didn't I, I I recently saw I uh, I found a video cassette. Okay. Right. Most of my stuff is on video cassette. Yeah. Uh because we're talking 96 to 05. This do you, do you still
0: own a VCR somewhere?
1: My comedy career. I went to uh I went to the Goodwill to buy something and I found one. I found a TV that was like a DVD VCR thing. Nice. And I watched myself and I I said to uh, my wife, I said to Stacy, I said, that guy, like, he's in, like, he's in prison. Like, I was so not myself. I was yeah. so, I thought I had to be a certain way or tell the joke's a certain way. And, you know, to fast forward yeah. to what this is and how I just, how I made my life basically now just being myself because I trust yeah. myself enough to do that. But I didn't at those, in those years, I didn't, yeah. I didn't have the inner yeah strength or fortitude to just be me i i thought i had to do a certain thing
0: yeah is there sort of a cover band aspect to when you're starting out in comedy like i'm going to kind of do a little bit of Marin and a, and a little bit of Leary. Oh, kind it's, of totally, thing.
1: it's totally unconscious yeah. i
0: think i mean people used
1: to tell me you're old enough to remember people used to always say um and now of course i'm blanking on his name you're going to know it as soon as i say it though oh my god i'm blanking on his name because he's not real famous but he had a couple of specials it's going to hit me later but people are like. I kind of see that guy in you. And I was, I took it as a compliment. And yeah. it wasn't, but it was just kind of that like traditional 80s kind of stand-up punchline.
0: Yeah. You know, and
1: it's not that the jokes were bad. It's just that you, you know, I, I remember, you know, uh I met um I met Jeff Foxworthy once. Mm-hmm. And or maybe he had said this on a special, but I did meet him once, and he said how, you know. It takes 10 years to even have a clue of what you're doing, really. And he says when he had met Seinfeld, he had already been doing it five or six years. He was already headlining across the country and he thought he had it figured out. Or maybe Jerry said 15 years and it wasn't until he hit 15 years that he's like, oh yeah, now I have a clue. And then it just kind of keeps getting better and better. And if you you just, uh, uh, again, learn to trust yourself enough. Like that's, if you ask me, what are the great ones doing? People who I think are the best. They're just trusting that instinct. So for people who I loved, like I loved Carlin and Lenny Bruce and, you know, pretty much everybody my generation loved Bill Hicks and like, that's all they were doing was just like, they just didn't, they just didn't give a shit. And I was like, this is who I am and how I feel. Let me express this to you in this very clever way.
0: Yeah. Well, it's funny to think about like, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm always fascinated by debut albums and things like that because you... When you listen, like, go grab everything from 1977 and then listen to Van Halen 1. And you're like, where? what planet did Eddie Van Halen come here from? Like, it doesn't sound like right. anything else at the time. Right. Um, and, you know, and then, like, kind of uh, playing that forward, you look at someone like a Courtney Walter in the ultra running space. Like she- I've always like,
1: said that Cardi Dahlwalter is the Eddie Van Halen right. of ultra runners. I've <laughs> often said
0: that. She's, but I'm saying like, you look at what she's doing and it's like, what, like, you know, it, the, so many of these things are just like, they're so linear in time. Like somebody, somebody bests the mile by a, a second and then somebody bests the marathon by 10 seconds or whatever it is. But it's this very linear progression through time. And then you get these massive leaps you get your, your Lenny Bruce's, your Bill Hicks, your Dennis Leary's, you know, these guys that just like take, come out of left field in a totally different way. George Carlin, you get Courtney Dowalter, you get people like that, that, are, that just completely almost like smash the mold, change the paradigm, whatever cliche you wanna pick and just take it in a completely different way and say like, I'm raising the bar. We're not gonna, we're not gonna raise the bar by a half inch this year. We're gonna just like, we're gonna raise it by a foot.
1: Yeah. And I'm so fascinated by that. And I'm, you know, I'm fascinated by greatness. And so I've, you know, I've read a lot of books and I've watched all the, all the documentaries and getting to do this for a living and talking to these people, I learned pretty quickly. Uh, they can't explain you why, oh. you know, uh, you ask you asked, we, we, we think there's some answer yeah. and not even like, a, not even like yeah. a specific this many miles per week at this heart rate, just, just right. this general, what are you doing again? Yeah. And, and the more I talk to these people, um, like I've spoken to, you know, a lot of great runners over the years and obstacle racers and they never quite know. They're just telling you, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like this is what I wake up and do every day. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I got to interview Courtney for the first time actually recently. And, um, and it was fun, but, but, but yeah, so many of these athletes, there's nothing they can point to yeah. other than it's, it's how they're wired in a way. Yeah. Um. There's this whole thing about suffering. And I've thought about that a lot because yeah. like, so Amelia is like sort of has crossed, like one of the few athletes that's crossed over between um, OCR and, and trail and yeah. people know her outside of OCR. And, you know, she really enjoys the suffering. And I, and I wondered like, is that a gene that, is the same as any other gene in that some people, some people quit right away. Some people are pretty good at it, and then some people just flat out eff and thrive yep. when things are the worst. And right. is that is that a DNA particle in you somewhere?
0: I think it's. I think it has to be, and I think it's how they experience suffering. Like what, um, you know, it's it's kind of it's almost like a color blindness where the color still exists the same way, but you see it differently than I do. And so the pain is theoretically there. We're both running 100 miles or whatever, right? But you're experiencing it in a very different chemical, in just a very different visceral way to the way I'm experiencing it. Then you cap, you layer on what my physical threshold is, like how much of a quitter versus a grinder am I? And then you, yeah, I guess to your point is like, are we really comparing apples to apples here? Am I suffering the same way you are? And you're just tougher than I am, or you're just not really suffering.
1: Dude, you said it, you said it
0: better than I could say it. That's exactly, that's exactly it. Because we all
1: like to think that, or or I'll just speak personally. I want to think that I'm not a quitter until the parts I do right and then we make a lot of excuses and then maybe it takes a while before we look back i'll just again speak for myself you know i've dnf'd a lot and i think i had a lot of excuses and then kind of realized like all my dnfs came from 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 i quit whether the time ran out whether whether whatever happened somewhere between training and start day i had already quit and and it it takes something else to get past it and i've since got to go past it a few times but i want to go past it many many more right i want to I I want to do this a lot more, but like, um, I just want to tag on what you said real quick. The thing, the thing that's good news for us mere mortals is that there are multiple kinds, right? So, um, there, you know, uh, have you talked to, um, uh, Sarah yet? Sarah, is it Sarah Moore? No, she did. Um, she did bigs backyard and she just did, she just did, um, uh, one of, one of what's his name races, one of Jamila's uh, uh, Jamil's races, but she, um, she's relatively new and just this like big emotional, like what the fuck is happening? Yeah. And she's like literally screaming at the road and, and like all emotions right here on the edge of her sleeve all the time, which is what I'm like. And then you have somebody like Courtney, who's a machine. Yeah. What's the, what's the problem? Let me fix it. What's the problem? Let me fix it. Yeah. And so there's no there's no right way, right. right?
0: Yeah. Well, I just interviewed Jamil the other day, uh, Jamil Corey of um, Aravipa in out of Arizona, and you know I was talking to him about that. Like he was in the middle. I don't remember which race it was now. Maybe it was Western States, but he got like 30 miles in, um, and he was way ahead of the time gap. So he's like, you know, I could I could have just gone back to the hotel, slept for eight hours or whatever, and still finished fine. But he just laid on a cot for like three hours and got back up. And then he's, you know, he said the last 65 miles or whatever it was, was just, he was just gliding and, you know, and I asked him like, is that just totally normal to you? Right. Because a lot of people would just say like, sixty five miles as if it's two miles. Right. But it's like, yeah, a lot of us would sort of get, 30, 35 miles in, like he was in just severe distress. Um, Most of us would just say like, hey, it ain't my day, right? And just say, yeah, screw it, you know, whatever. But like, did did he just know? Did he just know that's what his body needed was three hours to sort of balance his salt or whatever that was out of balance? And then he'd, you know what I mean? Like, there's no guarantee you're going to now go glide for 60, (laughs) 65 miles. It's like, Oh man, I'm, this is going to happen again in a mile or 5 miles or whatever it is. And and uh, you know, I interviewed Anthony Familetti early on in the podcast and, you know, I've told this story a few times now in 5th grade, he was running a mile in like PE and he woke up to his coach like slapping him in the face. Like, you know, and he goes, "Did I win?" He goes, "You didn't even make it halfway." but he made himself pass out. He was running that hard. And it's like, dude, that's not normal. Like for him, it was totally normal, but that's what got him to the Olympics was that, you know, my first cyclocross race, I got pulled from course because of the time limit. You know, you only have so long to finish your five laps and stuff. And, And it wasn't, I wasn't quitting. I wasn't dogging it. I was going as hard as I physically could. And I just couldn't go any farther. Now, Having said that, I didn't make myself pass out. I didn't make myself throw up. I didn't see the tunnel vision, you know, like I didn't push myself as hard as I could have. I felt like I did, but I clearly didn't. And so some of these people, these elites, I think just have that different gear that they don't even, they don't know it because to them, it just feels totally normal.
1: Exactly, exactly. It's like you're living
0: inside my head. It's a good place, it's cozy. (laughs) It's a little scruffy, but it's cozy. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so you progress through, like, at what point do you start doing the, the podcasts and, and things like that? Like, how did your, um, I'm curious, this is, I get, you know, for the listener too, but I'm certainly personally curious, as we said, you're the MJ, um, edition of the Athens podcast, you're uh, episode 23. So we're just getting started. And frankly, we kind of came out of the gate, like an explosion three a week kind of thing. So we just started right. a few weeks back. I told you you might want to slow down. That was yeah, my we are. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely, because I, I mean, basically due to COVID, we're, we're, you know, we're a smaller team than we were. And so I've kind of taken this project on myself. So doing the the pre-post production, the, you know, all of it and stuff. So uh, I'm loving it, but yeah, I'm definitely going to be slowing down here in the new year. Good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, how did you get into it? What was that? What was that uh, journey like? And if you so, haven't yeah. listened to to the podcast yet, you absolutely need to. So, give the full plug. This is your time to own the floor.
1: Oh, sure. So, the Obstacle Racing Media podcast, yes, um, is part of the Obstacle Racing Media Empire. Empire, which is, which is. I think the initial the initial intro to the show was. We talk about obstacle racing, adventure runs, in the occasional ultra marathon, and that's really been what it's been. Although it's not really been adventure runs, although we co- we covered eco challenge a lot because a lot of people paid attention to that. Yeah, I I saw a bunch did.
0: of different shows on that
1: when it came out. Um, but that's been what it's been. And I go, so I do these races. I'm starting to be fascinated by. Back then, there's no content. I'm really hungry for anything I can find online. There's these. Joe DeSanta from Spartan putting up these weird videos about this thing called the death race, which happens at his farm in Pittsfield, Vermont. Yeah, And I was like, I think I should go to that. And again, it's, it's not, there's no plan involved. There's no like, here's how this is going to go. I get on a plane. I go there. I am. We throw the term inspired around a lot. I am absolutely inspired by Joe and his team, by the volunteers, by these people who had been in the mountains for two days with no sleep and then they come back and they finish a task and they go, okay, what's next? Yeah. And then they go off and do, he goes, great, carry the sandbag up a mile mountain. And they go, okay. I was like, what is going on? Like something's happening here. This is pretty cool. And I had started listening to podcasts. Um, I was always at this American life fan on the radio and I started listening to them. Like I think this American life was probably the first podcast I'd ever listened to. And I was actually friends with with Maren for my time in LA and his podcast was just starting. And I just thought, I, I think I wanna do a podcast about yeah. this. That's it, man. It was no grand plan at all. I start doing it and instantly become the guy. Like, oh, well, you're the guy with the podcast. Uh, and- what,
0: what year was this?
1: This is the- the first episode ever was the was the end of June 2012. Okay. So So way ahead um, of the curve. Way yeah. Uh and again, not because I knew podcasting was gonna become a thing, right. because I had spent the next however many years trying to explain to people when I meet people, first I have to explain what obstacle racing is, then I have to explain <laughs> what a podcast is. Sure. And so it was not very fun. Um and for a long time, like, how do I get it? Where's what's the link? Do I need to download an MP3? How does this, like, that was a long time in, in yeah. the podcasting world. Yeah. And, you know, you'll appreciate this, you know, you know, just real quickly from a business sense. Selling advertising, you know, we, it's like you can get, it's going to be website and it's going to be on the podcast. And, like, they couldn't even care about the podcast. They didn't understand it. Right. And now that's, like, what they asked for first. Like, can sure. you please read my company's name on your podcast, yeah. right? So, um, so I instantly kind of become the guy and somewhere in that first year, I had this other business that was making okay money, but that I was making me miserable. Bless you. It's a little bit of COVID. Hang on. Um, and I thought, what if I made a go at this? What if, what if I, what if I went for this and you know, to say the rest is history would be the really, really, really short version because it's yeah. massive ups and downs. Um, and like I said to you before we started recording, you know, taught myself how to podcast. I mean, I did yeah. things, there are things I learned in the fifth year. I feel like people should have learned in year one, right? Right. I'm doing things, I can tell you for a fact that, um, I put out at least one episode a week for five or six years and never missed a week. Yep. Um, but I never had a day. I was like, I should probably pick a day. Day would be good. Mm, got never it. picked a day. Got it. The end. In the last two months, I I now have three shows and I I have an actual schedule. Like <laughs> to me, eight years get an actual schedule.
0: Yeah. Well, baby um, steps. What's that? Baby steps. I, I
1: you know I didn't start. I didn't start. Editing video until three years ago. I should have done that right away. Right. Um, but you, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I just sort of, you know, when you say you have a team of whatever, I have a team of me. Yeah. And I,
0: yeah.
1: one more, please. No yes. Worries.
0: Santa's at the house. Uh
1: anyway,
0: one second. No worries. You want to say hi? I want to call. This is Jackson. How you doing, Jackson? What does your shirt say? Savage race. Are you a savage, would you say? Or who's the bigger savage, you or your dad? Your dad? I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe we need to put on a race for you, too, and see who's the bigger savage.
1: Jackson knows that I'm the bigger savage. Yeah. So What's up, you- dude?
0: You're just going to say hi? Okay. Yeah, he's being
1: he's quiet. He's usually pretty chatty.
0: Well, it was great um, meeting him. We're keeping all that in.
1: You should. You should. This is this is this is life at, at my house. Um,
0: so when you made that when you made that choice, was it a burn the boats moment where you just said, "This is I'm going to kind of sink or swim on this thing. We're leaving well, land back, behind." I
1: look back, and had I, if I had a chance to do it all again, I would have. Somehow, if I could have, and I don't know that I could have, found someone to run that business, yeah, because because I didn't quite understand the the passive income piece. That even if I was only getting two hundred dollars a month from it, it would have been something like yeah. like to have. And, and I had a whole business that by now, you know, this is that business. I let go of in 2012, like I was so far ahead of my competitors. Yeah. It was a staffing company and I was so far ahead of my competitors with like SEO and all that. Uh, like, I remember the first time I had asked somebody how you heard of us. Cause usually, you know, you get referred by a friend or whatever yeah. and they go Google. And I was like, oh wow, this works. Um, <laughs> so had I kept it, I yeah. probably could have continued to grow it. But, right. but, um, but no, I just, I, I, I was a Lyft and Uber driver for about a year and a half. While while I tried to figure it all out and kind yep. of made and um and that's what propelled me, but I'm still making it up as I go. I mean, people yeah. say, "What did you do the pandemic?" and it's like, you know, this year is not a lot different in many other years. In that, I still just have to figure it out and find ways to make money. I put on a virtual race, and that really helped. Okay, and um, that helped, but yeah, just yeah. whatever it takes.
0: Well, it's funny, you know, you mentioned kind of how you got into Spartan. And at the time, I mean, Spartan really was um, like, we we kind of talked about those, you know, Eddie Van Halen's at the moment, like at the time there was no good race content and we were already working with Spartan. This is right around the time we started, Athelink started working with Spartan was when you started getting these like blown out images of people jumping over fire and all this other stuff on Facebook. And they really were, I mean, gigantic pioneers in the media side. You had Color Run on one hand, And these slow mo, you know, cornstarch explosions of color. And it was like, wow, that looks amazing. I wanna go do one of those. And then Spartan on the other side was like a huge pioneer in the media side of what we now look at as this kind of like glossy, colorful, you know, again, like drone footage, super slow mo, like that that every single decent size race has now on their homepage. Spartan really kind of pioneered that, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, them and Tough Mudder were really yeah. the just neck and neck for supremacy over the last however many years. Yeah. And then it's a very long story about how kind of how that's gone in the last year legally and everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's what I like. Everybody that I would talk to if I said, I do, you know, what obstacle racing is, they'd say no. But I'd say, you know, have you heard of Tough Mudder? Right. And they were like, oh, yeah, of course. My yeah. cousin does the whatever. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting when you like, well, that side story there of, you know, like every great champion has a, has somebody pushing them, Tough Mudder and Spartan. Those, there's some really good fucked up stories of how they were needling each other and flying banners over one another's races and, and, uh, and things like that. So to, to get in on the early side of the media of that, and again, you know, you're birthing this new style of racing that nobody had ever heard of. And so it's got to feel good for you that you were kind of on the leading edge of that, uh, of the media side of pushing that and helping to grow an industry.
1: Yeah, I'm super, I'm super proud of that. And I know that I have worked very hard to do that and I really love it. And it comes pretty naturally to me. And I definitely was like at the right place at the right time. Like all those things are are true because again, it's not like I was like, honey, (laughs) let's start a OCR <laughs> media company, right? Like the podcast that nobody's yeah. effing heard of. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, it's, it's great, especially as things, as, as the sport grows and grows and, you know, there's very few of us that are still around from the very, very early days, you know, but if I talk to a guy like, like Mike Morris, do you know, who he is.
0: Uh, not by name. No.
1: So Mike, I uh, had done some adventure racing Met Joe became like one of his first race directors and now he's sort of their VP of ops. Oh yeah, so, yeah. okay,
0: sorry. Yeah. I'm I'm sorry. I had an athlete picture in my head, but yeah, I know Mike.
1: good guy, yeah. great guy. Yep. Um but so like he and I can talk about, you know, remember the the December Texas Beast in 2012 because we're both there and and like the athletes that have that have stuck around for a while. Um yeah, dude, I'm super I'm super proud of it and I I'm, yeah. I I love being like being someone that being, I think people just want to do a good job, right? Like people want to be rewarded for doing a good job. And I think that I I get a lot of pride from putting a lot of hard work into growing this thing.
0: Yeah. It's awesome. How do you balance the, the racing? One of the things that I always find comical is I look at people's athlete's profile and, I, and oftentimes I can tell you the day they got into the industry is when all of their results <laughs> stop happening. <laughs> so you've, you've managed to keep your racing um, career going a little bit, but how does it, I would assume it's it's positive in some ways where it does give you entree into some of these these races and things like that and puts you in the right place to race. But on the training side, you know, how do you balance the two?
1: Well, that's one of the things that people often said to me over the years is they say, you know, Matt, I really appreciate that you, you don't just cover the sport, but you participate. And to me, it's like, it's such a no brainer. Like, I don't know how you, I don't know how you could just report on it and not be in it and do it. Um, But as I said, a lot of funsy laps, a lot of just messing around. Um, This year I got really serious this year. Well, it started let's say this time last year when I was going to train for Boston and actually got a coach uh, who I still have. And then when that got pushed to the fall and then canceled, I was like, well, I'll just pick an ultra because I haven't done an ultra in a while. And so I ran, you know, more miles this year than I have in a long time. And, you know, those Saturday long runs add up, you know, and so it's not easy. Yeah. So I won't be doing that again for a little bit because, to leave here at eight and come home at two on yeah. a Saturday. My wife's already home with the kids all day during the week. Right. It's hard to be like, okay, I'm gonna go run for five hours. But yeah. that's what it takes, right? To keep them the mileage up. Yeah. Um, so that's that's been interesting. I have thought that when I'm ready for my next ultra, I might make Friday the long rate day and yeah. like try to get all the work done before Friday as a as a possible solution. Yeah. And then leave the house early Friday. Um Because like, to me, like the whole, it feels, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm in training mode, the whole week is about the long day. Like, what do I got this Saturday to do? And then figure, thinking about that. Cause all the stuff during the week, you're running a lot of miles during the week, but it's like, come home, I can drop an eight or a 10 miler. And it's not, it's not that big of a deal. Leave work a little bit early come home, do that. But if I'm going to go run for five or six hours, it's not going to be around here. i got to go find a trail, which is an hour away to begin with.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. When my when my kids were babies, when my son was born is when I got back into shape, I'd kind of let myself I did the I did the band thing and all that stuff growing up and and kind of adopted some bad habits. And when my son was born is when I got back into really good shape. And I was so excited, thinking, like, man, as the kids get older, I'll, you know, and become more autonomous. I'll have all this more time to train and things. And and it's been the opposite. It's now you wanna spend time with the family on the weekends and all that kind of stuff. So I've, I've dealt with the same kinds of things. We do a good job in the house of balancing those things, but it's like, if I'm not out the door by like 6 AM, there's no long ride or run happening that day, you know? Yeah. And I'm,
1: I'm not one to get up at those hours. I'm, I'm one to think I am and say I am and Likewise. set an alarm, but that not actually happened. Yeah. Uh, the good news is though, Jackson has been to, you know, hundred races with me and That's he's done awesome. a bunch of them himself and yeah. so and now that his little brother's old enough i can bring both of them yeah. and they can i can do my job and they can be around and they yeah. can actually hang out in the tent while i'm gone and i have another group i have another couple of friends that like their kids are on the same age so that kind of became one of those solutions is just to take at least one of them out of the house with yeah. me um and he's gone on some road trips with me and like he knows all those athletes like by name like yeah. hunter and atkins all those guys that's and it's, awesome. it's 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 kind of fun um i think that's why he wanted to come over and chat oh he, usually to be, <laughs> he like, thought i was somebody
0: it. He's like, I don't know. You're somebody. I don't know who that guy is, Dad. Um,
1: but yeah, but again, it's, it's, there was definitely those first three years of yeah. I got to go to every single race that, and now I don't. I go to the races that I have to pick and choose yeah. the races that I want to travel to, be away from home and to get, you know, content for. Cause it's, again, it's, I'm in the content business and it's, it's always the tail wags the dog. You produce content, you get eyeballs, you sell advertising against it. And it's not the other way around. Yep. Money doesn't usually come in on the front end. <laughs> right. So it's, I want to go produce this content on my own dime and all my own whatever. Although I do occasionally get paid to produce content. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to do more of it if you want to talk about that.
0: Yeah. I think that, uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about that because I think that, you know, again, as we think about, we all have certainly have a hope coming into 2021 that things correct themselves and we figure all of this out. The reality, I think it's going to be we're going to be somewhere in the middle of what 2020 was and what we hope 2021 to be, right? And there is still going to be a void where people are going to have to scratch that itch, not necessarily on course, but through media and things like that. So I think the, um, you know, uh, media companies like yours and capturing that in things like what Spartan just did, where they sort of have this closed course, you know, Spartan Games type of thing, um, might just have to go a long way to scratching the itch in 2021. I hope what I'm was your What was your take on the Spartan games? Did you watch all of it? Um, I didn't watch all of it. I watched some of it, and part of that was just busy with the podcast stuff, so I didn't carve out enough time to watch all of you don't
1: it. Have to, you don't need an excuse.
0: I'm just asking. Uh, Joe's going to make me do burpees if I... Say <laughs> I did um, No, you know, I, I think it's cool. Again, like w- the thing that I'm most excited about is I think back to around the time that you started your business. 2012 is when things started getting um, a little stale. Like you did have the birth of OCR and color and all that kind of stuff, but then everything else like tr- traditional racing started getting really stale over the last eight years. And um, being inside a company like Lifetime, obviously you had all these roll-ups and acquisitions, you know, you had Iron Man sell for a billion dollars, you had rock and roll gobble up races over the years and things like that is a lot of these races that normally would, would um, exist in a, in a small room with a handful of people just wanting to do what's right for the athlete you know, you end up in in front of a board of directors, you know, hitting a P&L that's much bigger than your own and all that stuff. And so you end up making right. these decisions that are so safe and so just, you know, again, P&L driven. And one of the benefits of literally tearing an entire industry down to its foundation is we're in control of how we come back, you know, a certain amount of the traditional races will continue to be their, their tried and true traditional selves. But I also think things like, you know, there is room now for things like the Spartan games and things like that, where we, where we fill that void and we take some chances, which is the biggest thing, which is that we're, when something goes to zero, There's no guarantee that doing the same thing that you did before is gonna bring it back to where it was. And so you do have some latitude to say, look, let's blow this thing up and just reimagine this and do it different, right? And that's what I'm excited about. I think that that, there's there's a lot of potential in 2021 for people to get really creative. Again, like Unpaved doing doing um, uh, enduro style scoring, right? Where you're not racing the whole 120 miles. Maybe you're only racing 30 of the 120 and the rest is sort of, sort of this social event, but then you come up to a 15 mile uphill segment where you're just going balls to the wall, turning yourself inside out. Um, and then you're relaxing after the fact. So there's, there's uh, my point is, is just, I, I think for the first time in a long time, you know, everybody tore up their budgets, tore up their P and L's and just said, look, let's, you know, you sort of give, you got a free pass this year. Let's figure out what happens next year.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see. I mean, I think, uh, Joe had just literally got done acquiring all these companies. He just yeah. acquired Tough Mudder. He just acquired Warrior Dash. He just acquired, you know, the LaRuda bike race and some trail runs and, um, then the world shut down. And it takes someone, I believe, as stubborn as Joe to be like, all right, well, yeah. now I'm in for a dime. I'm in for a dollar. Just maybe it's in for a dime of millions in for yeah. a dollar. Um, so uh I think anyone of lesser status would been like, This is stupid. Let me go back to whatever I was doing before. Yeah. Um, so I think those that those that were able to hang on, um, I think in obstacle racing and just regular, like I know some people are selling their trail race companies and makes man, if I could, if I could pick a few of them up now for pennies in the dollar. And then, yeah. you know, that maybe not this year, but certainly by, or 21, certainly by 2022, you're going to be sitting on a nice little property there. If you yeah. snagged everybody's tag me equipment up cheap and all that stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Joe's an interesting guy. I, I remember one time, um, I don't know, a couple of years ago, uh, he and I were at dinner or maybe breakfast, but it was it uh, it was it was breakfast in China, actually. And I said, you know, Joe, I go, I can't tell if your IQ is 80 or 180. And his response was, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that was right? Like, he wasn't insulted. Or he goes, yeah, I don't know. It might be 80. I don't know. But that guy is so, I mean, I love Joe. Like, uh, I, I mean, if there was one guy... Um, I mean, you talk about like, does, do we all experience pain the same way and all that kind of stuff? Like I've never met anybody with the motor and the ability to just push through and grind like that guy. And, uh, and you're right. Like the, I have this, the, the, he is an amazing father, so I don't apply this to him, but I've, I've always had this sort of cliche in my head that the world needs bad fathers. And what I mean by that is there are executives. There are people who will go out there and dedicate their entire lives and, to the exclusion of their family to go build these empires or whatever. Joe happens to be a phenomenal father and family man. So he has not done, he has done a great job of integrating his family into building Spartan, but the world needs guys like Joe DeSena, man. I'm a hundred percent convinced that they well, are.
1: I think we should, we should ask Joe's kids in about 10 years if he's yeah. a good dad. Oh, I'm sure they'll fast.
0: murder him in his sleep one day, but in the meantime, <laughs> 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 they'll murder him in his sleep, but I'll, they will own it. They right. will own it. They will be the first to step up and say, "Yes, we did that. That was that was our accomplishment." <laughs> anyway, uh, we're at a time where we can kind of see the finish line across the horizon. Here, we do a little ten question dash. You want to answer some questions? And uh, I would love to. All righty, cool. Here we go. So, play some theme music to walk us in. So. Oh, pro theme music. Very pro, very professional. Um, Okay, so easy questions, nothing uh, too surprising here, only honest honest answers. Uh, What is your gear looking like? What brands are you repping these days?
1: Uh, For uh, the trail, I love, love, love the Speedgoat 4 by Hoka. When I'm running obstacle races, I wear VJ shoes. Uh, I'm not that brand loyal clothing wise
0: otherwise okay do you like would you go into a running specialty store and jump up on the treadmill and try a bunch of different things or are you like a? I i love the speed goat i'm buying the five the six the seven next three years
1: i never uh it, the speed goat i'll buy for the next five or six years okay before that i i bounced around too. because when they change models and they make them worse yeah i got it
0: okay uh next race ocr run bike what do you got
1: uh, Ultra. breaking news, breaking news. I'm doing an FKT tomorrow that I've, uh, this'll, this'll be out afterwards. I'm sure. Okay. I don't know if we we're going to come up on it. I'll tell you more about it later. I got an FKT tomorrow.
0: Okay. Very good. Uh, you got a favorite sports book, movie, podcast.
1: Oh I mean, my goodness. What's your, what's your favorite sports sports movie? Movie. Like you just movie podcast, but that's like, you just covered Give 27 me things. Give me
0: three. Give me three. Give me a movie, uh, a book. Uh, and a podcast. I'm going to give you two movies. I'm going to give you
1: Rocky Four and Bull Durham as my favorite sports movies. Oh, interesting book. Oh my god, I can't think of a book. And uh, I don't really listen to. Oh, I listen to. Uh, I listen to a lot of Bill Simmons. So okay. All right. Nice. Well,
0: you mentioned Born to Run, so we'll make that your honorable mention. Uh, uh, yeah. There I'm you go. Sure. What's your favorite race? Favorite race? Yeah. <laughs> this, I can't even
1: answer that. So I have dumb. to be my favorite kid. It's Jackson, but um, I can't.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, no favorite race. What's your bucket list race? What's the what's the one you just gotta do?
1: You know, I got I got that 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 sort of you know, Leadville, hard rock western states bug. They came in when I read born to run years and years ago, they went away. Then I watched Unbreakable Again a few months ago, and okay. now that's back. Like I like to go out there,
0: like those people do do yeah. those things. Do those things that they do at elevation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what's your home stretch song or band on your playlist? Do you listen to music when you race, run?
1: Uh, I mostly listen to podcasts, but if I want to get jacked up, I listen to either Eminem or Green Day, Okay, so you which get, I think is a perfect answer. I was going to say, yeah, it's,
0: you get a little jiggy with it rather than jacked up, but um, Eminem can be jacked <laughs> up. <laughs> what's your most embarrassing on that playlist? Most embarrassing? Yeah. We all have um,
1: I mean, I don't. I don't think I have a lot of shame. I mean, I just played wham this morning well, in my that, kitchen and
0: You might have won the first twenty-three episodes yeah, of that answer. <laughs> What's your pre-race ritual or superstition? You got any of those?
1: Um. Uh, uh. I absolutely live by my
0: Theragun. I just bought one of those.
1: Uh. So that's become my absolute must-go-to, must-have for any run any run.
0: All right. Living or I forgot to give you one of those living or dead. Who would you most like to share a long day with long OCR day run, whatever living or dead. These are some, great, listen, these are some great, great final, uh, mile, uh, questions living or dead. Living or dead. That Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. I don't know if he can. Keep up or He's or a, keep a shitty Barney. runner. I'd kick that guy. ass. <laughs> <off. laughs> <laughs> For Joey Ramone,
1: either choice. I'm All right, oh, yeah, you.
0: there you go. I'm going to give you that for Paul McCartney, that for Joey Ramone. There. All right, man. What uh, final question? What's the secret?
1: What's the secret? Yeah. Woo. Uh Work as hard as you can, but stay out of the results.
0: Love it. Perfect. That's awesome, man. <laughs>
1: Those were amazing uh, questions. Those were <laughs> great. Those I love those. <laughs>
0: well, again, we like to put you on the spot. Maybe I should start the show with those. Get you on your. No, tracks. I think it's you probably
1: need to loosen them up. They're going to give you what they think is the right answer. Yeah, for, for sure. Early on, but That's... I know we got to go. But I do. I want to talk to you a lot about. Uh, we talk off offline about podcasting,
0: about content, about Athlink stuff. Yeah. Um,
1: we got Please. a few more minutes,
0: yeah. No, we can keep talking a little bit. But I, but I don't. I have a two o'clock. Okay, actually. go ahead. Fine. I just got blown off on my own podcast. Bam. God, it's like prom all over again. Sorry, buddy. I'm so insecure. Well, we can talk as soon as tomorrow or the next day. All right, let's go. I'll reach out to you right after. Okay. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. I'll I'll walk you out and stuff. I'll let you go. So I'll uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll do some in post and I'll I'll make this look very cohesive on the exit. Well, if you want to say something like great talking to you, goodbye, we can do that. But I I literally now have to go. Great talking to you, goodbye. That's it. (laughs)
1: Great talking to you, goodbye.
0: Now we have Matt B. Davis. Uh, So yeah, no, thank you very much. I'm really glad that that we were hooked up. And uh, it's been great chatting with you. So uh, have a great one. Have a great, happy new year. But we will chat tomorrow. I really want to hear about that FKT you got coming up. So anyway, folks, that is the show. I hope you enjoyed it. More people racing more often, having more fun in the process is our mission at Athlinks. Thanks again to Eric B. Davis from Obstacle Racing Media for coming on the show and sharing some laughs and some history. The best way to support the podcast is to be sure to click subscribe on iTunes or follow on Spotify to be notified of new episodes. And please take a couple of minutes to give us a rating and a quick review on iTunes. We do a special post uh, each week on Instagram. So look for the post with episode 23 with a picture of Matt. If you have any comments or questions, suggestions for upcoming guests, we are at Athlinks or just shoot us an email to podcast at athlinks.com. Share it with friends far and wide uh, to help spread the word. And until next time, happy racing, everybody.